Hear the word of the Lord from Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was at the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to people he favors. Now hear the word of the Lord from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thanks, Laurel. I was excited when I learned that she was reading the scripture today. We should do audiobooks. Very good. Very good. You know, I feel like pretty much every Sunday I feel this pressure to preach a really good sermon because, you know, it's a good thing to do it. But there are some particular Sundays where I'm like, oh, snap. It's just, it's, I better preach it good. You know what I'm saying? And so I was, I was pondering that, and I was, I was thinking, how do, I, how do I make this sound awesome? And then I thought to myself, why do I got to make it sound awesome? It is. <laughs> like, it is awesome. And I, and I just thought, I, 
I don't need to, to, to make this sound awesome. We just need to look at what Christ has done for us and be reminded afresh of how good and kind he is. I was, uh, I was having a conversation earlier this week, and um, I was talking to, to a, a brother who's young in the faith, and, and uh, he, he asked me a good question. He said, he said, why did God choose me? And I thought that was a, that was a really profound and good question. And because I wasn't about to have like a, a debate, I'm just trying to explain it very simply. I wasn't trying to make it complicated. We went to Ephesians, and we just read a couple verses, and it says that, that, that God chose us because of his glory. He chose us because he wanted to. And then Ephesians 2, it says that he chose us so that the, the, the scripture says he could lavish his grace on us forever. Translation is, he saved us so he could be nice to us forever. Can you turn my mic down a little bit here, a little bit, bit of reverb? So he, he saved us so he could be nice to us forever. Now, here's the thing. I had read Ephesians before, and I had, I had known those truths before, but because somebody asked me, I had to go look at something that I, I knew before, and those truths stuck with me the whole week. And I just walked around thinking, man, God saved me because he wants to be nice to me forever. And I thought, man, there, there are some certain times when you're confronted with truths that you have heard before, but for some reason, they stick with you and they sit with you a little bit differently. And I'm hoping and I'm, I'm praying that, that I don't think you're going to hear something you don't know. But I'm hoping and praying that these truths will stay with you and stick with you in a new and fresh way so that we can learn again how much God loves us and cares for us and saved us. I'm going to say a quick prayer. Lord Jesus, help us to understand your word. Would you reveal to us your truth, not only in our minds, but would we feel the weight of your truth in our hearts? And we will understand your love and that, and that we could just walk around every day going, man, you love us. Why? Because you do. And we would offer you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so from those scripture readings, I just got three questions, three questions. The first question is, what happened at Christmas? The second question is, what happens now because of Christmas? And the third question is, what will happen in the end because of Christmas? So the first one is, is what happened? What happened at Christmas is that the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the one who was equal with God in every single way and displayed his nature perfectly, that this son who deserved nothing but praise and glory from forever and ever humbled himself, that he stepped down from his throne of glory and entered the mess of our humanity. Now, we need to, to pause for a minute because we are going to get to the cross because we, we need to get there, but we need to remember that first step that the Son of God took, that the one who was limitless limited himself, that the one who had no need became needy, that the one that had never endured any type of suffering endured the suffering of this world because of his love for us. You might, you might miss this, but, but the, whole, the whole scene starts with the fact that there is a census. They need to count some folks up, okay? Now, in the Old Testament and in the ancient world, you might think, well, what's the census is as usual. Usually, a king would do a census so that he could feel good about himself. 
So he can go, look how many people I got. Or look how, look how big my army is. Or, or look how big my empire is. And, and you can see from the get-go that the Son of God, he submitted himself to the regular, everyday life and even oppression of this world. Now, you might not think it's a big deal to travel. You just hop in a car. Even if you're pregnant, it's not fun. I assume. However, imagine, you know, getting on a, a donkey or a horse, being nine months pregnant, going across the country to your hometown so that somebody could count you so that they could feel good about themselves. Because of somebody's whims, hundreds of miles away in Rome, there's suffering on the Son of God's family. See, see, we, we don't serve a Jesus who is so distant from the trials of everyday life. We don't serve a Jesus who is, is indifferent to the various forms of oppression that exist in our world because he himself endured it from the beginning. And he went through the real trials of humanity and the efforts to draw us near to him. And even though he was the king of kings, he was born in a small town in a manger. You know, the, the scripture says that Jesus was from the line of David, meaning he was the, the, the long sought after king of Israel and ultimately the whole world. Yet this king, from a human perspective and a king from a divine perspective, it says in Luke 2, 7, it says that, that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. That this divine king and this human king didn't have a place to be born. That he put him, they put him on the side room, the afterthought. Maybe there's some in here that might consider, man, sometimes I've been an afterthought. At least I felt that way. The son of God understands you. He knows what that's like. He knows intimately what that's like. And he came, and he was an afterthought because he came to draw near to you. Because he loves you. Now, if you continue the story, it says that the angels told the shepherds about the king. In verse 8, it says, in the same region, shepherds were staying in the fields and keeping watch at night over the flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, but look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, here's the deal. Shepherds, that was, that was a lowly and a hard profession. If you were going to tell somebody some good news and you wanted them to tell other people, Suppose you would tell somebody that was higher up in the social economy. Someone who had more power, more, more prestige, who, whom people would listen to. But see, shepherds in that day, they were avoided. They smelled like sheep. That don't smell good, y'all. They, they, they had the smelly, dirty profession. And think about it. It's the middle of the night, and where are they? They out in a field. I'm assuming it's cold. These, these, these are, are what you call some, some blue-collar men, if you will. 
not, not, the, not the educated ones, not the ones at the temple, not the scribes, not the ones at the university, not the ones sitting on the throne, but some blue-collar men working an everyday job. And the angels that serve the creator, God said, if I can introduce Jesus to anyone, I'm going to go to them. That, that's the humility of our Savior. God decided to announce his salvation to these blue-collar workers who may have been despised by others. See, he's not just saying that it's good news for all people. He is demonstrating that it is. That he would, he would pick those whom society would cast aside. And say, no, I'm going to share this good news with them. That the Savior had come. That, the, that God had become flesh. See, that's what happened at Christmas. That God became flesh. And demonstrating in every single way that he would draw near to the downtrodden, those whom are overlooked, those whom society would throw away. He says, I choose to be near you. That's what happened at Christmas. But what happens now? See, what happens now affects us today. See, the grace of God is available to us right now. In Titus 2.11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. In other words, grace has been embodied. Grace took on flesh and has been presented to you. See, the humble king died for us so that we could receive grace and mercy and forgiveness. The grace of God actually instructs us how to live now. In Titus 2.12, it says, what does the grace of God do? It instructs us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present world. See, the gospel works differently than we think it ought to. We think that we would do good because somebody stronger or bigger than us would say, do good. But we do good because we have been shown grace and mercy. And because we have been shown grace and mercy out of gratitude and thankfulness, we go, well, I, I want to be taught by this man who is grace. I want to walk in his steps because he has shown me mercy when he did not have to. And that mercy was deep, great, and wide. Listen, the grace of God comes to forgive us, and the grace of God instructs us because we are so grateful that the Son of God humbled himself that we'll say, well, well teach me, let me walk like you did. But this, Christmas didn't just happen a long time ago. It doesn't just affect us today. It affects what will happen at the end of the age. That we have hope that our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will come back. Now, this is a side note. If anybody says, where does the Bible say Jesus is God? Titus 2.13. It says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, who? Jesus Christ. Our God and Savior will come back. He will come back to set everything right. He will come back to complete what he started. He will come back to finish the deliverance, to, that we would enter the freedom of this joy and peace, this world without sin, without oppression, without pain, but a world of pure joy. You know, I've been, I've been asking, I, I feel like I don't think about, about heaven that much. I don't think about the kingdom to come that much, and I feel like I need to a little bit more. That I should ponder it a little bit more, that, that the pains and the trials of this life have an expiration date. That that same Savior who came 2,000 years ago will come again and will establish his kingdom in such a way that there will be no question that it's here. And there will be 
peace and joy and deliverance for eternity. So with that news, the fact that he came, the fact that he, he comes with, in grace to us now and that he will come again, that means that we ought to come to the, to the God who is drawn near to us in Christ. And we don't have to come perfected. We don't have to come with our, our words all together. We can come broken and sinful and guilty. And guess what? He is ready to receive us. He says, come. I've come to you. I didn't come to you to make you cleaned up so, so you come. I've come to you as you are. So come to me. Draw near to me. Because Jesus has drawn near to us and because he will come again, we can rejoice this morning in that good news of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have been so kind to us. That you sent Christ to live among us that he encountered the different flavors of problems that we all face, and that he endured it with joy because he knew he would bring us to you. So help us live every day with thankfulness, joy, and deep thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.